Welcome back, everybody. We've got another special episode tonight, another clip show with the best of from Series 2. I mean, it's the perfect thing to curl up and listen to now that the summer is definitely left to, isn't it? <laughs> okay, James, start the theme tune. Let's do the podcast, people. <laughs> you know, I was born in North Eden Colliery. I should have remembered that because my mother used to work for them. I'm champion lead at the rugby side. She went flying over me, Paul, into Bustelli. So, Series 2 was quite a mixed bag of episodes, but there was a a semi-theme to the early episodes, and that was food, whether it was talking about the food we can remember eating when we were younger, or growing food on allotments. Food was definitely on our minds. Jacqueline's going to tell us some memories first. I think of Sunday dinners. It was made entirely on a a fire range um, with an oven. Everything was done on that. And beef were... It's what we nearly always had on a Sunday because it was fairly cheap in those days. And my mum would sort of put the joint in the oven with loads of dripping. And after about an hour or so, she would say, right, if you want any dipping bread, you know, come and get some. And my dad would come and cut great big slices, thick slices of um, the uncut bread from Duncan's, the baker's. Oh, right, yes. I remember my granddad used to get up early on a morning to go up the main street to Duncan's and get his bread. Oh, oh, yes. Well, I can remember going for me, ma'am, and it was always wrapped in white tissue paper. Oh, right. You know, so it it was lovely. But anyway, my dad would cut great big thick slices and um, would dip it in the lovely juice and the dripping. Oh, and if you got some black crispy bits, oh, it was even better. It was lovely and tasty. (laughs) And, of course, we had proper gravy as well made from the juices of the meat. And for pudding, we nearly always had a rice pudding done in the oven again. And it was cooked until the skin on the top was black and crispy. Oh, right. And we had that with carnation milk. You know, poured on the top, so yeah, it was yeah, yeah. very fattening, Paul. Yeah. It was, it was lovely. Well, as anybody from the north knows, if you've had a good Sunday dinner, the next day is fry up day. Here's some of my dad's memories of a good fry up. Being brought up in in the northeast, um, I guess my mum and dad and, and my grandma followed a fairly traditional format in terms of. Starting on a Sunday, we pretty much always had a, a full Sunday dinner, and it was with uh, with beef, with pork, with lamb, sometimes with chicken as well. But there was always enough left over, and Monday was traditional fry up day, <laughs> as mm-hmm. as we called it, cad warmed up. <laughs> but uh, it was absolutely gorgeous, and I always remember. I probably used to enjoy my Monday card warmed up more than I enjoyed sometimes Sunday dinners, even though your grandma and your, uh, your great-grandma were great cooks for Sunday dinners, I have to be honest. So Sunday, Monday followed the Sunday in terms of the card warmed up. But then 
Friday was always a fish day. So we used to have a fresh fish van used to come round uh, on a Thursday. And they always used to buy the fresh fish from the van. And then Friday was always fish and sometimes potatoes, not always with chips, but it was, you know, fish, potatoes. So that was always very, fairly traditional. Now, Saturdays, if we weren't out and about doing something in the summer, most most Saturdays we were away somewhere in the car, maybe Zingram Valley or sea houses or, or somewhere like that. And that would yeah. be picnic food. But if we were at home in the winters, um, Saturday tended to be um, chips, beans and egg. And the chips were my favourite. They were crinkle cut chips. Grandma Nell had a, a proper crinkle cutter. And as you know, I invested in one of those a few years ago because I still love crinkle cut chips. So I always remember it was crinkle cut chips done in the chip pan. Um, beans and egg and lashings of bread and proper butter. I just used to love that on a Saturday. And if it wasn't that, then we'd have something like corned beef and potato pie. And uh, again, corn, I, you know, corned beef and potato, potato pie is a fairly traditional northeast um, delicacy, as it were. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you if you if you like them. Um, Usually a bit of onion in them as well, and sometimes a little bit of chopped up carrot makes it a little bit more adventurous type of thing. Now, as I said, we talked about food from a couple of different angles. First off, the food we like to eat, but secondly, where we grew our food. So, this is my brother's memories of what it was like to go down to the allotment when he was a kid. Um, well, in all honesty, the best thing about the allotment was having great big fires. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, having a good fire. Um, Grandad getting told off every single time because he couldn't start a fire, so he would just pour petrol on it and throw a match in. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd, forgot, I'd forgotten that. Actually. <laughs> yeah, mum telling him off every time. Um, and he would just go, where well, it's damp. Throw petrol yeah. on it and then throw a match on it. <laughs> um. But yeah, to me, that, that was always the best one. Or the time that we uh, we grew corn as well. I think Dad grew a load. I think it was corn. Um, and it was absolutely huge. Um, I think we've got a photo of it actually somewhere of you and me. Like, is it? Is it I'm sure it was corn in like yeah, middle of right. this. And it was like higher than me. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I'd forgotten about that actually. Yeah. Um, that was, that was, uh, that, that's a memory I've always got. But that was the second allotment patch. That one, that was the one that was attached to the back of Grandad's. Um Yes, that was. Oh, I don't know if you remember as well when we had the first allotment patch. I used to love, you know, that huge um a lot uh, shed that Dad built. That was we could never move because it was it's probably still standing there. Oh, um, yeah. crawling along the back of that, down the side of it, and getting into like an old hut, um that was locked away and it was barriered off. And <laughs> in all honesty, I'm pretty sure we found gelignite or something in there. Like, <laughs> um. I remember, I remember looking at it thinking, ah, this isn't right. And it was in a metal tin box labelled explosive. <laughs> um, but it wasn't owned by anyone. It was literally like fenced off when the school put that big trellis fencing up. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, 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 they're my favourite memories probably of the allotment, I would say. It still makes me chuckle listening to my brother talk about setting fires at the allotment. Even more so now since he's in the fire service. <laughs> well... From childhood memories of the allotment to my dad's allotment experiences, from memories to current practices. 
This is from, I think, the first episode we did about allotments, and it's from a nice interview with my dad. Enjoy. Well, it goes back a long way. I mean, when I was a, a child, uh, and as you know, I lived at North Seaton Colliery, my, my mum and dad, my grandma and granddad, we all lived in the same house in Chapel Row. And the gardens there were, were enormous. I mean, we had lawns, we had flower beds, we had vegetable sections. And my dad had a greenhouse there, which he heated by using coal on a, a fire, a back burner fire, which heated pipes that went round the greenhouse. So I'd, I'd always been used to seeing people um, growing things. And my dad was, was a keen leek grower. So I used to get my brother and I, brother Harry and I involved, in, and probably my sister Elizabeth when she was a bit younger, in helping to clean, clean the, um, the leeks when it was leek show time around about the September. So I'd always known uh, that there was like the best thing was to grow your own vegetables. Um, so when, when your mum and I got married, uh, one of the first things we, I did was there was a lawn in the, the garden, in the bungalow that we, we first moved into. And the first thing I did was take some of the lawn up and, and your mum said, what are you taking lawn up for? It's nice. I said, yeah, yeah, but wait and see. So I said, I'm going to grow some potatoes. Because potatoes will grow anywhere. So right from getting married, you know, within the first few months, I was starting to grow some potatoes on a small patch uh, in our garden. And then your your mum's dad, your granddad, Don, always had allotments uh, ever since I knew him. And um, what we thought was, as you and your brother came along uh, in the mid-80s, we decided it was the right time to invest in an allotment we wanted something bigger and we wanted to get you both involved in growing vegetables and we wanted to know where a lot of our food was coming from so that also coincided with you know Am and I deciding that we wanted to grow organically and by that I mean we wanted to basically eventually cut out the use of all chemicals and pesticides and all the common things that gardeners used to use for years and uh, the likes of grow more, um, the, the likes of jazz fluid that used to get sprayed on, on soil and on beds and such like to try and sterilise the soil. We, we wanted to get away from all of that. So when you decided you wanted to live the good life, um, whereabouts was your allotment? Well, our, our allotments were at the bottom end of Alexandra Road behind Hurst High School. Oh, There's quite a big allotment site down there. And we were fortunate enough to get a, an allotment. Your granddaughter found us an allotment that was standing vacant. Somebody had had that, but unfortunately the gentleman was, wasn't well enough to keep it in good shape. And after about nine months of lying fallow, they asked if we could have it. So the allotment we had was right at the corner of the allotment site and the school field was behind it. So the first thing we really wanted to do was to try and make it a little bit more secure because students used to use it as a shortcut to get out of school early, climb over the fence at the back and go through the allotments to get out home onto Alexandra Road or into Washington. So one of the first things we did was uh, use that, that very well-known method of recycling. To be fair, people who have allotments or gardens going back for a long, long time were probably the first recyclers, even before recycling became in vogue of a thing to do. So people who had allotments would, would find what they could use 
in our case, we, we, we managed to find about 20 doors, old doors that were being thrown out in skips around Ashington. And we fastened those doors um, up against the existing fence to create a bit of a barrier and also stop the, the northeast winds blowing straight onto the garden. So that was our, our first approach. Well, you touched on um, recycling there, and I know we've talked about that loads. So when it comes to recycling, what are some of the um, most interesting, most inventive, wildest uh, bits of examples of recycling? Because it is a big deal, and loads of the um, wonderful listeners that um, commented on Facebook uh, on the Asset and Remembered site the other day were, were talking straight away about um, recycled polytunnels and recycled greenhouses and all sorts of things that people had donated. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of the standout memories of recycling? Well, I guess at the allotments, there were, to, be, to be honest, a lot of the people at allotments are, are very uh, innovative uh, and they're always very good in terms of making things with, with their hands. So they're always very hands-on. And probably the best examples of those would be a lot of the uh, greenhouses you used to see on that allotment site and, and the one at say at the top end of Ashton as well a lot of those are made out of recycled or reused old window frames and door frames that people were taking out in fact at one time some of the the um, glazing companies used to be quite quite openly take window frames out that were being replaced and had a had a bit of a deal with the allotment sites to say we'll leave them next to the allotment sheds or the main um, hut if people want to just take them and use them so your granddad don's greenhouse or greenhouses if you remember was all shapes and sizes of wooden window frames that were kind of knocked together and fastened together with with uh, wood frames and um and then glazed where there was broken fl- frames. So this was not made from any grand design. It was kind of made up as they go along. Uh, he may have had a sort of broad plan in mind, but a lot of the guys who built their own would just see what they could get their hands on and basically make a greenhouse to fit what they had. Next up, the programme took a little bit of a left turn in Series 2. As much as I always try to interview people and share people's memories, I wanted to expand the show into just fascinating stories from the Northeast. And The Wreck of the Tadorn was one of those. It's a bit of an experimental episode because it's just me telling you the story um, of a shipwreck. So here's a little snippet from that episode. And if you like what you hear, have a look for The Wreck of the Tadorn, the full episode in the podcast to listen to. The French trawler ship, the Tadorn, was headed from Boulogne to Iceland with a crew of around 30 men when the thick fog rolled across the coast of Northumberland. And of course, that made navigation near impossible. Around four o'clock in the morning, she ran aground, somewhere just off the Howick coast in Northumberland, with the stormy seas crashing and wrecking the vessel onto the rocks. The sad thing is that given the distance, it can't have uh, been particularly um, far from the shore, which must have made it even more harrowing for the men whose cries could be heard from the shore, 
but as many of us know, the Northumberland coast is famous for its extreme seas. So even that close to shore, there was no way they were able to swim, although some of the crew did attempt it. An alarm was raised by um, uh, Thomas Thompson from Howick, and after he had heard the cries from the men on the boat. It's believed that the Coast Guard from Craster made their way as quick as they could in the early hours of the morning and attempted to use a rocket to fire a line to the boat that could be then used to set up a pulley system if it was able to be anchored. The idea being that the men, one by one, would then bring themselves across the rope using a pulley system to safety. Sadly, it relied upon the men on the boat being able to set that up when the rocket fired. And unfortunately, by the time the lifeboat had got there and set up, the men had been in the water for some hours and were freezing. They were shivering, they were cold, I imagine hypothermia was setting in for many of them already, and they just couldn't make it fix. I imagine their hands probably couldn't grasp as tightly as they needed to to secure it. I hope that was an interesting little clip there. The The story of the Tadon, the wreck, is absolutely fascinating and it was just something that I happened to hear that I'd never heard of before. So I wanted to see if I could record it as an interesting story for the podcast. If you want to hear all about it, then have a ba- look through the previous episodes for the wreck of the Tadon and uh, tell me what you think of that one. <laughs> all right. So we talked about food. Then we had our left turn into a little bit of storytelling. And then in series two, we looked at entertainment. Firstly, the cinema. I'm going to start right from the top end of Washington. There was the Regal, the Buffalo, which we just called the Buff. The Buff, yeah. <laughs> the Waller, uh, the Pavilion, which was known better as the Pave. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Hippodrome, um, by St. John's Church, which people called the Hip. Ah, right, yes. Um, so in the 1950s, when I think when I was about five, um, the first film I ever saw was at the Pave, and I went with me mum and dad, and it was Pinocchio. Oh, wow. you know one of me. Uh, I mean, looking back now, it was one of my favourite cartoons, but I was absolutely terrified of Monstro. All right, <laughs> because I remember crying to come home. I was so scared. Oh. <laughs> you know, then a couple of years after that, when I was seven, I went with my cousin Lily back again to the Pave to see The Wizard of Oz. And that was like the first film I'd ever seen in colour. It started off being in black and white, and then it went into colour. And we thought that was magic. Because um, yes. I hadn't seen anything colourful before. Yeah, yeah. But I can remember I was absolutely terrified of the Wicked Witch. The Wicked the, Witch, the yeah. The Wicked Witch, I cried to come home. But Lily wouldn't come home. She said, no, you just have to shut up and behave. 
But there was always matinees on in those days as well. Mm. And then on a night time, there was two showings. I think there was like a B film. And then the major film came on after that. But at the end of every performance, everybody stood uh, to the national anthem. Yeah, so that was still so that because I mean that's something I know like from doing um, you know the war at school that they obviously played yeah. the national anthem for patriotic reasons during the war, but it continued into the late fifties and into the sixties, I think. Um, yes, definitely, and I mean from what I can remember, everybody stood as well. If you didn't. You know, you got some pretty nasty looks off yes. people, and yeah. yes, you know. But I can remember that everybody sort of stood till the end of that, and then they made the way sort of home after that. And I can remember Pearl and Dean. I don't know oh, if you yeah. remember this, Paul. You know all the adverts that Pearl and Dean. Well, I don't remember the adverts, but I, I was doing some research because I remember obviously the Pearl and Dean theme tune. Oh um, yeah. I'm kind. I'm. I'm hoping, and this will probably make people laugh if I have managed it. But I'm hoping to use it in in this episode. So, um, if you've heard it at the beginning of the episode, I hope it's uh, made everybody smile. But when I was <laughs> when I was researching the Pearl and Dean theme, it, I just discovered that they did all the adverts as well so I've I've found some absolutely hilarious really out of date type of adverts you know oh, really right. funny uh-huh. um, yeah yeah really uh, funny um, adverts I can remember they always had a baby sham advert yes on. yes yeah and also old King Cole yes my mum and dad have mentioned this one so this yes, was the local yes. coal thing yes I like a, a local coal merchant but yes, everybody knows that that tune, and uh, I don't think people will forget that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Hippodrome was on the corner of Milburn Road and Newbigin Road, opposite the White Elephant, where the um, little sub post office is. Oh, okay, where that little car park is now. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Wow, so that, that I mean, when you, I mean, just to imagine that many cinemas and obviously buildings that have disappeared or been repurposed now, that that's a lot in a small town like Asherton, and obviously Asherton was even smaller then. It so. was, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, we're going back to the nineteen, well, obviously fifties and sixties when we were uh, just young, the fifties. Um, but they were built, they were built in like nineteen ten. Well, nineteen twelve, nineteen twelve, uh, twelve. Yeah. But um, eventually they were all taken over by, uh, Walla Picture Limited, which was, as Neil will tell you, it was uh, Walter, the guy called Walter, and another guy called Lawson, Walter Lawson, and they combined the two names into Walla. It was the first three letters of their names. Uh-huh. Walla, W-A-L, and Lawson, L-A-W. <laughs> Walla. Mm-hmm. All right. Didn't know that. Fun fact for us there. And, and actually the Walla Group owned, eventually they owned all the cinemas in Ashington and Bedlington and Blythe. Oh, wow. That must have been a lot. 
Oh, at Newbiggin as well, because I had the wallet at Newbiggin. Yeah. So, yeah, quite a big, uh, quite a big concern actually. And, and as Elna uh, alluded to, the um, Miners Hall, mm. Miners yeah. Theatre, it was actually built by contributions from the miners. Oh, okay. And it was originally a theatre. Mm-hmm. So it'll have been the perfect shape to turn into a cinema screen with the theatre seating and stuff. Actually, it was it was used for both theatre and cinema. Oh wow! And um, it had an orchestra pit that could take up to fifteen musicians. Oh wow! And in the in the day when it was in its heyday, if you worked at the pit. And you had a lead in the any of the either operatic or theatrical um, organisations in Ashton, mm. then they would actually pay your wages for the time you were in the show. Well, that is the end of our special, our um, clips from series two. I hope you've enjoyed that. There was lots in Series 2, and it's definitely worth going back and having a listen, if you haven't already, to some of the extended episodes, particularly the episodes about the cinema. There's some lovely, long conversations in there about uh, memories of all the different cinemas there used to be in Asherton and the many towns of the northeast back in the day. I'm really looking forward to Series 3, which is going to start in just over a week's time. I've got a couple of specials that I'm hoping to get out before then, but in series three, oh, we are covering everything from uh, some nurses' memories from hospitals in the 1970s. We've got some more school stories. We've got some tales of the family adventures in family cars. We have, hopefully, a little bit about the border reavers. And we've got uh, some stories about castles. Oh, we've got a special Halloween episode coming up this year with um, local ghost stories. All true, obviously. And hopefully some episodes relating to the sea. So, lots to look forward to. Thank you, as ever, for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, remember you can send me an email with... um, your own story that you'd perhaps like me to share. You could get in touch just to tell me how much you or your family or friends are enjoying listening to the show. You can do that via email, and that is a really simple email address. It's podcastnortheast at gmail.com. It's all one word, podcastnortheast at gmail.com. Drop me an email and let me know how you're enjoying the show. Or if you've got any ideas of things you'd love to hear people's memories of on the programme. All right then, ladies and gents, thank you very much, as always, for listening. Stay safe and well, and, uh, well, I would say enjoy the sunshine, but I think that's all gone, so enjoy the cooler evenings. Bye-bye.